You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Greetings, friends and Resurrection family. Christ is risen. As I have embarked on this series on Christian parenting, and particularly as I've been outlining a covenantal perspective on parenting, I've realized that I certainly need to say something about baptism, uh, both the significance of the step that we're taking as parents to present our children for baptism, but also the long-term parental implications of having baptized kids uh, in our homes. Now, I've realized I need to talk about this subject, and I've also realized this seems to be the obvious place to do it, uh, because the baptism of our babies in Presbyterian churches flows out of everything I've been saying. We give our children the sign of the covenant at birth because we recognize them to be members of the covenant from birth. Now, I'm aware that the case for infant baptism is one that is highly contested. Boy, am I ever aware of that. And that, along with the covenant theology that lies behind it, is a matter of ongoing debate among Christians. For our purposes in this podcast series on Christian parenting, I'm not going to uh, get sidetracked uh, making an extensive case uh, for the baptism of babies. Uh, I'm going to be speaking really uh, today to those parents who are convinced of this, uh, but also I admit with the happy thought uh, that those who are being persuaded uh, will be helped uh, by listening in. I will just say that those Uh, or rather for those who are doing the hard work of wrestling this issue to the ground of the legitimacy, the biblical warrant for baptizing the children of believers, uh, I'm going to include a link in the show notes of this podcast uh, to a paper that I have written. Uh, It's called Why I Am a Paedobaptist. Now, that's the fancy term uh, for those who believe in baptizing the infant children of believers. And the paper is one I wrote uh, many years ago uh, as a kind of testimony to my own journey uh, to those convictions. Um, If it is of help, I would be pleased uh, to know that. Uh, There's many other good resources, though, for making the case for baptizing the children of believers. And you're welcome uh, to reach out to me for suggestions for further reading, uh, if you like. For today, Uh, Here's who I have in mind as I prepare these remarks. I have in mind a young couple at Resurrection Presbyterian Church, for example, uh, who've just had their firstborn baby boy or baby girl. Uh, They have seen other parents bringing their children for baptism at our congregation or another like it, and they're ready and raring to do the same thing. But Uh, they may not have thought fully about what all this means. So this podcast today is my attempt to capture uh, the little talk that I've had over many years with many such parents, Uh, and I'm going to organize it under uh, this heading, Five Things Every Parent Needs to Know About Their Baby's Baptism. So folks, that's what's ahead uh, if you choose to listen on. So the first of those five things that every parent needs to know about their baby's baptism is this. Number one, your child's baptism 
is a visible and tangible expression of God's covenant love for your child. Folks, the baptism of your child is the sign and the seal of everything that we've been considering in recent episodes about the covenant, the covenant love of God for your children, uh, the place of privilege and responsibility that they have with you in the covenant. It's a sign and seal of their identity as a disciple of Christ and a sign and seal of the calling that God has placed on them to live up to that identity with their own faith and obedience. Why do Presbyterians baptize babies? It's because we believe the Bible teaches that the covenant is made with us and with our children, and that baptism is the sign and seal of that covenant. Now, I just want to draw attention to a little uh, easily overlooked word that I use in Uh, the tradition and the denomination of which I'm a part, as I perform baptisms at resurrection. Uh, It's a little word uh, that is of great significance in the formula uh, that's used at resurrection for baptisms. Uh, In keeping with Matthew 28, uh, I will say on the occasion of a baptism, someone young or old, uh, calling them by their name, I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, the word into is the significant word, and uh, many of us believe that it's the best translation of that word in Matthew 28, verse 19, rather than simply in the name of, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we use that word uh, into, uh, we believe that it's making reference to a union or a relationship uh, between the one being baptized and our covenant-making God, our triune covenant-making God. It's not just that I'm doing something in God's name or on God's behalf, though that's certainly the case. But when I baptize a child or an adult, I am uh, seeing and recognizing God's intention by that baptism to sign and seal the relationship between that person and God himself. This is something God does. He places individuals into a covenant relationship with himself, and that's what baptism is a sign and seal of when your baby is being baptized. Notice further that when ministers baptize, they uh, name the one they're baptizing. Usually, uh, I have never seen an exception to this rule, the full name of each person baptized. So uh, if your baby is to be baptized at resurrection, I'll call your baby by his or her full name, uh, Tabitha Blythe Donaldson, uh, the most recent baptism at resurrection. I baptize you into the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What I am drawing attention to here is that uh, baptism is God's way of making his covenant promises particular and personal to each member of the covenant. This is a precious thing to bear in mind on the day of your baby's baptism. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism 
uh, most of you will know, is a statement of the faith of uh, those in the Dutch Reformed tradition. Uh, One of the questions is, should infants also be baptized? And the answer is put this way in the Heidelberg Catechism. Yes, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people. And they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. I hope you noticed how the Heidelberg Catechism speaks of baptism as the sign of God's promise of salvation. It's the sign of his promise, and it's placed in individual personal ways upon each member of the covenant. God promises to save the members of the covenant, name by name, person by person. But I hope you also noticed Heidelberg also identifies the one and only way that we will ever receive that which God promises in our baptisms, and that is through faith. Faith is the way that we receive what God promises in baptism. Now, uh, I hope by now it's clear. Um, Presbyterians, as they baptize babies, do not believe that baptism is a sign of the salvation of the one being baptized. That's something I've already spoken of. We can't be infallibly assured of, no matter what age the person is who's being baptized. It's not a sign of the salvation of the one being baptized, and we don't see baptism in itself in some automatic way conveying salvation to everyone who receives it. We know well there are those who reject the covenant love that baptism is a sign of. But folks, baptism is a profound blessing. It's a means of grace in the lives of our children. It's God's way of making the promises of the gospel found in the scriptures individual and personalized to each member of the covenant, calling them to the faith that alone enables them to receive what is promised. Sometimes I say to uh, the children of the church, um, your name, at least as a reference to you, isn't found in the Bible. The Bible doesn't name all of us personally, but the baptism that each of us receive is God's taking the truth, the promises of his word, and putting them upon us and our children one by one personally name by name. God is not content, I could say this way, merely to tell his covenant people that he loves them. Uh, Folks, he's intent on showing them that love, just like good parents do. Uh, They do more than tell their children that they love them. They do more than express their love verbally. They also show it. Good parents demonstrate and communicate their love in physical and tangible ways. Hugs and kisses, most prominently, are ways in which parents show their children uh, their love in physical, tangible ways. That's what God is doing in the sacrament of baptism. Both sacraments, as a matter of fact, 
Baptism, the subject of this uh, podcast, is God's sealing his words of love with that physical act. Some of us call baptism God's covenant kiss of us and our children. So, parents, uh, the day of your baby's baptism is a happy day indeed. It's cause for celebration uh, at resurrection, the towel that is used in your baby's baptism becomes a gift to you, uh, for your family, ultimately for that child. Uh, That is to say, after it's been monogrammed uh, with the date and the initials of the one baptized, that's become our church's version of the baptismal certificate uh, that many churches throughout uh, the years have provided, a kind of keepsake of a very momentous day. Uh, in the life of your family, and particularly that of your child. So that's number one. Your child's baptism is a visible and tangible expression of God's covenant love for your child. Second thing that parents need to know about the baptism of their babies, presenting your child for baptism is an act of faith in Christ and obedience to him as parents. Let me look at those two things. Um, first, you presenting your child for baptism is an act of faith. This is how you should see yourself uh, as you do this. Let me remind you of those moments in our Lord's ministry when parents brought their children to him for his blessing. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 13 is an example of this. Uh, in the Gospels, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. These disciples of Christ, who were parents, were eager for their children to receive Christ's blessing also. They themselves had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the hope of the world, and their faith in Christ was put on display as they brought their children to him for his blessing. Now, I hope you also recall how eager Jesus was to receive those children, uh, to lay his hands on them, to bless them. I might add, despite the disciples' uh, differing sense of priorities, we could say. Well, we at Resurrection see ourselves as doing essentially the same thing as we bring our children for baptism. I'm aware there's no reference in that text I've cited or others uh, that are like it to baptism, per se. But folks, what you as parents are doing on the day of your baby's baptism is exactly what those parents were doing as they brought their children to Christ for his blessing. And I want you to remember this. Though it is the pastor on the day of your baby's baptism who takes your child in his arms and baptizes that baby. Remember that he is but the one deputized by Christ to act on his behalf. So what is really happening is that Christ himself is blessing your baby when that baby is baptized in keeping with his own call. Uh, I notice that even in churches who don't baptize, babies of believers, there is something often called a baby dedication. And indeed, 
uh, we are saying at resurrection uh, to Christ at the occasion of uh, the baptism of our babies, Jesus, take our baby, uh, make him yours. We give him up to you. We surrender him to you. We long for him to be yours, just like uh, Hannah did long ago uh, with her only son, Samuel. But folks, as Presbyterians, we believe that the primary actor, if I may speak that way, on the day of a baptism of an adult or of a child is not the parents, not even the individual coming. It's God. It's God himself. He's the one giving. He's the one blessing. And it's primarily an act of faith on the part of parents to believe that he's willing uh, to give the grace that's held out in baptism. You're confessing what you believe as parents. You're confessing things we've talked about already in this series. Your child is in desperate need of God's grace. You're confessing your faith that you can't save your baby. Only God can. And you're bringing the one who is so precious to you at the very outset of his or her life for the blessing of his Savior. And you're doing so because you know your Savior to be one who loves to save children. So that's the first part of this point. Parents presenting your children is an act of faith. But I also said that presenting your children for baptism is an act of obedience. Now, follow me here, please. As Presbyterians, a large part of our conviction that children of the new covenant should receive the sign of baptism is that Children of the Old Covenant received the sign of circumcision. We believe that there's continuity between the covenants in this respect, and that we have a lot to learn about the signs of the covenant in our day from the Old Testament. One thing that's crystal clear about parents in the Old Covenant giving the sign of the covenant, circumcision, to their boys is, well, it was not optional. It was a great blessing But it was not optional. It was an important indicator, in fact, of obedience to God. I'm thinking of Genesis chapter 17, for example. That's where God institutes circumcision as the Old Testament sign of the covenant. And it comes to Abraham as a command. This is my covenant, God says to Abraham, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. And in case it wasn't crystal clear that being circumcised and also presenting sons for circumcision is a matter of obedience, God goes on to say, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, friends, if we are right that baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign of membership in the covenant. And if we are right that children are still members of the covenant with their parents as before, then this is the conclusion that's inescapable. It's an act of obedience to God to present our children for baptism. Indeed, it's a vital part of our own keeping covenant with God to seek for our children the sign of the covenant. Now, someone might wonder at this point, Pastor Trice, 
Are you saying it's a sin, an act of disobedience, not to bring our children for baptism? And my answer, in a word, is yes. What else could I say? In light of everything else that I've been teaching about kids and the covenant and baptism, indeed, not to bring our children to Christ for his blessing and baptism is, well, it's what our Westminster Confession would call a great sin. Now, having said that, let me hasten to say this. I'm aware that in many, many cases, it is a sin of ignorance. Uh, many Christians have simply never been taught about this blessing and obligation. And in other cases, Christians have actually been taught that this is not the right view of baptism, to uh, administer baptism to babies. And they are sincere in those honest convictions. But I think my Baptist brothers, at least many of them, and many that I have had very cordial interactions with, would agree with me, though from the other side of this issue, it's possible to be both sincere in our convictions and we might say sincerely wrong. So, of course, all this just underscores the importance for Christian parents of settling what somebody somewhere along the way called the aquatic issue, (laughs) a reference to the question of baptism and our babies. If you're not sure what you think of infant baptism and you're a parent or you're soon to be a parent, brother, sister, You need to seek counsel, you need to get started reading, and you need to be prayerful for God's guidance. And to those who are listening from outside the church where I pastor, let me just add this. Uh, You need to be part of a church whose convictions match your own in this area. If you agree that it's your duty to present your children for baptism, then it's obvious you need to be in a church that believes your children are rightly to be baptized. Uh, Over the years at Resurrection, we've had multiple household baptisms, and typically these are families who've not fully understood the implications of the covenant until they came uh, into our fellowship and uh, took steps of joining Resurrection. And as their parents, as parents were received, their children of various ages were baptized with them. Actually, some of us would say that a more accurate expression for the Presbyterian view of baptism is household baptism. That's our understanding. We don't just baptize babies as Presbyterians. That's what you could think of with the term paedo-baptism. We also baptize adults who are new converts to Christianity. Uh, Sometimes that's called credo-baptism. Indeed, as Presbyterians, uh, we baptize every age between infancy and adulthood when a household is joining the church. Believers and their children are baptized together, and they're received into the covenant community together. Actually, um, as Presbyterians, we suggest that we have the best explanation for that phenomenon in the New Testament of household baptisms. So that's the second thing that parents need to know about their baby's baptism. Presenting your child for baptism is an act both of faith in Christ and obedience to Christ as parents. Number three. Number three is the vows 
you take at your child's baptism represent your commitment to faithful parenting. You need to know that as parents. This is certainly true at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. Uh, Before any infant or child uh, is baptized in our congregation, the parents must take vows. And of the four vows that they take, all but the first one are expressly commitments to faithful parenting. I want to take a minute to walk through those parental vows, especially since this podcast has in view, in particular, parents uh, at resurrection. So here's the first vow. It presents an opportunity for parents to confess what they believe about their children. Here's how that vow reads. Do you acknowledge that although our children are sinful from the time of conception and therefore are subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ, and as children of the covenant, are to be baptized. I've spoken in recent episodes uh, to both sides of this little confession of faith that's put in the first vow. I've spoken to the sinfulness of our children and the judgment that they deserve from birth, from conception, uh, apart from God's grace. I've also spoken of their membership in the covenant from the very beginning and their right to the sign of the covenant. Those two things are captured in this first question. By the way, the expression, holy in Christ, they are holy in Christ. Uh, It's being used in the covenantal sense that I have uh, already explained. Uh, They're set apart from the world in covenant with God through Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of the children of believers as holy in that sense, uh, in 1 Corinthians 7. The second vow. Uh, The second vow presents an opportunity for parents to commit to faithful teaching of their children. Here's how the second vow reads. Do you promise to teach diligently to your child the principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and summarized in the confession of faith and catechisms of this church. Now, the reference to the scriptures of the Old New Testament is very intuitive uh, to every Christian parent, but notice the reference here in our Presbyterian church to the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church. There's a lot of history behind this part of the parental vows. Um, in a word, I'll simply say it this way, the establishment of the Protestant Reformation in the lands of Europe and beyond. Folks, it depended on two things. Uh, Humanly speaking, it depended on good preaching and good parenting. There was so much truth recovered in the days of the Protestant Reformation, and as Presbyterians, we are simply not interested in being the last generation to know and love that truth. So Christian parents are those who preserve the faith of our fathers in the hearts of our children. I will just point out it's not necessary in a Presbyterian church, certainly not at resurrection, to be in agreement with every single part of the Westminster Confession. That's not required for membership in a Presbyterian church. But if you are a member of a Presbyterian church, and if you have children, we want to hear you are committed to passing on the faith broadly of our Presbyterian tradition uh, to your children. That's the second vow. 
The third vow presents an opportunity for parents to commit to prayerfulness and piety as parents. It's the shortest. It reads, do you promise to pray regularly with and for your child and to set an example of piety and godliness before him? I think this vow addresses, even though it's the shortest, uh, the two most easily overlooked elements of Christian parenting and the two that are the most important. Uh, It's the prayers of moms and dads for their children, and it's the piety of parents who live in front of their children. I love that this is one of the parental vows, as convicting as it always is for me to administer this vow or to hear it read. Folks, this particular vow reminds us as parents that the whole of our endeavors are in utter dependence on God. It also reminds us as parents that the greatest gift we can give our children is our holiness. Some of my listeners will recognize the riff I've made on a quote, a famous quote from a Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, what he originally said of pastors in their relationship to their parishioners could equally be said of parents in relation to our children. The greatest gift we can give our children is our holiness. One more vow for parents on the occasion of the baptism of their babies. Uh, The fourth vow presents an opportunity for parents to commit to doing everything in their power to raise up covenant keepers. Here's how it goes. Do you promise before God and these witnesses to endeavor by all the means of God's appointment to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, encouraging him to appropriate for himself the blessings and obligations of the covenant. I hope you'll recognize the reference there to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, the ESV renders that the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. These are the two component parts of Christian parenting. I'm going to be making that case in next week's episode. It's a parent's right hand and his left hand. Look for that in the title of next week's episode. But for now, notice how expansive this uh, vow really is. By all the means of God's appointment, I'm promising to bring my child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, From the first moment that you present your child uh, for baptism, that little girl, uh, to the final moment in which you uh, give that little girl away in marriage. The whole of your parenting endeavor is going to be looking for ways that God has provided uh, to nurture and admonish your children, to discipline and instruct your children. And it's doing so, looking for all those means of God's appointment that I'll have a lot more to say about in the coming weeks on this series. It's doing so recognizing that our children have to, well, the word is used, appropriate for themselves. They have to take, they have to lay hold of for themselves by their own faith and their own obedience, the blessings and obligations of the covenant. 
we want as parents uh, to be faithful by God's grace to our covenant Lord, and we want to raise covenant keepers in our children. That's what we're seeking to do. That's what we're committing to pursue as parents. So the vows you take at your child's baptism represent your commitment to faithful parenting. Number four of the things uh, important for parents to know about their baby's baptism. Uh, Number four, the vow the congregation takes at your child's baptism uh, affirms his membership in the church. So in our congregation, it's not only the parents who take vows at the baptism of their children, uh, the whole congregation takes a vow as well. Here's the question that I asked the congregation at resurrection at the occasion of the baptism of one of our children. Do you promise before God to assist this child and his parents in his Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith and in the fellowship of believers. Now, the first thing I want to point out is that this is actually the same vow that I put to the congregation anytime anyone joins the church. We say these same things as a congregation by way of commitment to the one who's joining the church, whether they're full-grown adults uh, or very small infants. Uh, Of course, when they're full-grown adults, we leave out the reference to assisting them and their parents. We leave that part about the parents out, but the rest of the verbiage is the same. And here's the significance of that for Christian parents. The day your baby is baptized is the day your son or daughter, quote, joins the church. Baptism is a sign of membership in the covenant community. And there's points of confusion on this. I've encountered it over the years. I think one of the primary reasons for this confusion, even among Presbyterians, uh, is that as Presbyterians, we do not admit our children to all the privileges of membership in the church all at once. Uh, At a later time, when our children are older, they're encouraged to make a public profession of faith, and then they take their own vows before the congregation as their parents have before them. And because those children taking their vows before the congregation uh, is very similar to what folks who are brand new to the church do as they join the church, uh, many people, understandably, parents included, uh, speak of that day that their children profess their faith as the day their children join the church. Uh, But folks, that's simply not the case. Um, They are on that day admitted to the full privileges of membership, particularly the privilege of partaking of the Lord's Supper, but they were members of the church. They were under the care of the church, both its officers and its members, from the day of their baptism. And that ought to be a great comfort to you as parents. Uh, You are not raising children alone. That child being baptized is acquiring, in covenantal terms, a whole big room of cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. That's their bigger church family who is uh, explicitly committing to their nurture alongside of their parents. Uh, Your pastor is their pastor. 
Uh, They have elders looking out for them just as much as you do. And the ministry of the church is very much about their nurture as well as yours. That is a great comfort, and uh, it should be a great encouragement to parents as they stand there before the congregation with their child to be baptized and hear the congregation make that commitment. The vow the congregation takes at your child's baptism affirms his membership in the church. That's number four. And one more thing every parent needs to know about his baby's baptism. Number five, the baptism your child receives will be a means of grace to him the rest of his life. It is significant that baptism is a one-time event. It's unlike the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in that respect. Uh, The one, baptism, is a sign of our initiation into a covenant relationship with God. The other is a sign of our ongoing fellowship with God in that covenant relationship. So baptism isn't supposed to be repeated because our covenant relationship with God is a constant in our life. We don't fall in and out of covenant with God. Our, Our covenant relationship with God doesn't wax and wane, so to speak. Uh, What he says to us, what he says to our children in baptism about his love doesn't need redoing. But one of the things this means, that baptism is a one-time event, is that the experience of being baptized for all of us, no matter how old we are, uh, fades into the past the longer we are Christians. Uh, Even if I were baptized at the ripe age of 25 years, by the time I'm 75, well, that experience of baptism is going to fade. And of course, if I'm baptized at uh, two months or two years, I don't remember that experience at all. But I'm saying in this fifth point that your child's baptism, like yours, will be a means of blessing their whole life. How so? I had a Sunday school class with the middle schoolers at Resurrection where I talked about this recently. And my question for the day was, what good is my baptism if I don't even remember it? I pointed out to the kids in that class, some of the best things that happen to us in this life can't actually be remembered. You don't remember being knit together in your mother's womb by the Holy Spirit, do you? I certainly don't. Uh, You, many of you, don't remember being uh, inter... Let me say, uh, rather, none of you remember being introduced, if you were born uh, into a Christian home, uh, to your mother, to your father, even to Jesus as your Savior. We've talked about how this happens so early. We don't remember these things. We don't remember being taught how to walk. We don't remember how uh, being taught how to read, how to pray, how to worship. I don't remember any of those things. But folks, they were some of the best things that ever happened to me. I said this to the middle schoolers after making those points. What's actually so great about being baptized as babies, or about seeing the baptism of our babies. It's a testimony to the fact that God's love and care for us came long before we even knew it. And that covenant love that baptism represents is supposed to be 
a lifelong encouragement to us. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks the question, how is our baptism to be improved by us? And the use of that word improve uh, sounds a little odd to our modern ears, as if uh, there was something defective in our baptism. But that's not the sense in which uh, the men of Westminster are using the word improved. It's an older sense of that word. Uh, It's the sense to make a profitable use of. That's what they mean. How is our baptism uh, to be made a profitable use of? And the answer to that question, uh, in my own words that Westminster provides, is it brings to remembrance all our days, our covenant privileges. Uh, It also makes us mindful of our covenant responsibilities and how we may be falling short of living up to them. And in it all, our baptism uh, represents to us all our days uh, the assurance that we are truly forgiven of our sin and washed clean by the blood of Christ uh, if, we be, do, if we do but believe uh, in our Savior. Folks, this um, improving uh, our baptisms, that's something each of us do. Uh, and are invited to do uh, by God all our days, even if we're only baptized once. And Christian parents, uh, it's something that you can help your children do as they grow up and as they see in the congregation of which you're a part, their other children uh, as infants or toddlers being baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and being uh, admitted into the covenant community. Parents, make sure that your children are reminded that this is what was done for them and that all your teaching and all your correcting of them is, is in order that, well, they would live up to that baptism. And be sure that you remind your children that no matter how greatly they sin, if they repent of that sin, if they put their faith in Christ, their own baptism is their first and foremost assurance They'll be washed clean of all their sins. That's how, as Christian parents, uh, we can put our children's baptism to profitable use. Well, these are five things that every parent needs to know about their baby's baptism. I'm going to conclude this uh, set of remarks on baptism uh, with a metaphor Uh, for what's happening the day of your baby's baptism. So, my fellow Christian parents, how should you think of that day of your baby's baptism? Perhaps it's coming up uh, even soon as uh, you listen to this uh, podcast. Uh, I'll use the language of the Apostle Paul. The day of your baby's baptism is the day you betrothed your child to Christ. I recently preached from the passage that uh, uses that language. Um, It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where the apostle says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, Paul is speaking, of course, there as a pastor, and 
He's speaking of his ambition to arrange a marriage by means of an engagement uh, between the Corinthians and Christ. But I hope you see he's using the language of a father. He's a father to them, a spiritual father. It's fathers who betroth their daughters to be married. And folks, that's what's happening on the day of our baptisms. We're being engaged to be the Lord's, as Westminster puts it. And that's what's, uh, sorry, that's what you're doing as parents at our Lord's own invitation. You're betrothing your children to Christ. And we're standing ready as parents to do what Paul did with the Corinthians, uh, to call the ones that he had betrothed to Christ to live up to the privileges and the responsibilities of that engagement. Here's how you should think of baptism of your own, of your children. Baptism is the receiving of an engagement ring. Uh, That's, in our culture, what marks out a woman as someone who is engaged to be married to someone. Baptism says the one who's gotten wet, this one is engaged to be the Lord's. Well, my friends, there's been a lot of weighty uh, but wonderful theology in the last few episodes in this series on parenting. And every bit of it uh, has downstream effects on every aspect of our parenting. Next time, however, uh, we'll begin to unpack some of the more hands-on aspects of our parenting. And particularly, we'll start to unpack what it means to bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Those are the two main subjects that are dead ahead in this series. So pleased to have you uh, as a listener once again, and I'll sign off again. The Lord keep you in his grace. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.